on this episode of the Alt Normal. Normal. There is one binary that I do practice, and that is you are either part of our sustainable future or you are a future dinosaur. And so that is a question that I want people, for companies, for individuals to sit with. Am I a part of a sustainable future or am I a future dinosaur? And you have to feel comfortable. There is no in-between. There is no status quo. Doing nothing pushes you on one side or the other. Doing something can be incredibly gratifying. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moment of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift in how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu that enable people to live and work from paradise. 
encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. From here, I would love to welcome our guest today, Emily Viola. So Emily combines over 20 years of consumer insights and brand planning with the study of market dynamics and future technologies to help us bring about a world where sustainable choices are the desirable default. She has led strategic planning on projects that engage a variety of demographics, specializing in Gen Z, millennial, and multicultural audiences. She now focuses on sustainability as head of planning at Futera, helping organizations imagine better and then make it happen. It is such a pleasure to welcome you to our show today, Emily. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. Beautiful. So I have so many questions for you today, and I am such a fan of Futera. I've known about this change agency for many, many years, and I'd love to open this conversation up broadly with the mission of Futera. So Futera is on a mission to make sustainability so desirable, it becomes the new normal. And in a presentation that I watched, um, sustainability you defined as um, you know, brand purpose, uh, social and environmental responsibility, citizenship, meaningful brands, and any and all efforts to change the world for the better. And as someone like you who has sort of intersected so many different strands of discipline and passion points, you know, I feel like you're someone who has really seen this industry and this word sustainability evolve over many years. And so we are currently in 2021, just kicked off the new year. And I'd love to hear how you feel the definition of sustainability has evolved over time. How are we really embodying sustainability now than we did, I don't know, two to three to five years ago? It's a really good question because sustainability has become quite the buzzword and it can mean a lot of different things and does mean a lot of different things to a, diff a lot of different people. But what we're seeing is much more convergence around broadening the definition of sustainability to embrace everything that you would see in the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And what that is, is I've heard that described as sort of humanity's wish list for itself. What is the kind of world that we want to be and how do we structure a planet that allows us to keep on doing and keep on going and to eradicate short-term quarterly profit thinking and start to embrace much longer-term planning, light-year planning, and thinking about how you can run a business and run a society in sustainable ways. And to do that, yes, at the core of it, sustainability started very much as environmentalism, environmental stewardship, risk mitigation, and maybe reporting on pollution and bad practices. And it has really transformed from a desire to eradicate bad practices to a desire to build new practices and to build this new story for humanity. And what I think is so exciting about it is that these um, SDGs, these Sustainable Development Goals, are essentially 
a rule book for how to create the world that we want to live in, a world that our, we can feel proud to bequeath to our children and a world that gives every person on this planet the ability to have access to clean water, to clean air, and to a livelihood that doesn't just give them money, but gives them a sense of purpose and gives them an a fair opportunity. And so in that, in that definition, we really address, of course, we address um, carbon. And of course, we address um, how to bring, um, how, how to draw down carbon from the atmosphere and how to be responsible businesses in terms of taking care of water and taking care of biodiversity and embracing things like regenerative farming. But we're also talking about fair and equitable pay for all humans. We're talking about environmental justice. We're talking about um, really creating a world where all people have access. It doesn't mean that all people are automatically equal, but everybody has an opportunity to have access to the civil rights that give us an opportunity to live. Mm. You said so many powerful things. I just want to unpack all of them, and um, we will. And first, just to dial into a little bit of a personal question, um, because you've spent 20 years in this world of helping brands uh, tell a story, right, in different creative capacities and ways. And, you know, as someone myself who has worked in the sort of creative agency world, it's quite exciting to see... um, an agency like Futera leading the charge on sustainability and really getting at the root of how a business wants to show up in the world and then telling that story. So it's a little bit different than just being a creative agency where, you know, um, a company or a business goes to a partner and says, hey, let's launch this product. Let's, uh, you know, strategize how we want to, uh, you know, show up in the world given our media budget and given our goals, but you guys take it a step further. So maybe for those who are listening who don't really know the difference between just a creative agency and a change agency, can you just shed some light on what is that difference since it seems like you've, you know, straddled both worlds and now you are in this world? Yes. And I I spent years, I really have a background in kind of classic consumer planning. And I I spent um, many years at agencies doing classic planning work. And from that time, um, then I, I made a little bit of a shift and I went into trends and market shifting dynamics and futurism. And it was then that I realized that the really the only future I wanted to bring about was a sustainable one. And so then I was able to bring that practice, that practice of brand planning and trend and and understanding consumers to the world of sustainability. And what Futera does is it really does, it marries the science and the logic of sustainability with the magic of communications. And um, the opportunity came to me um, to, to visit Futera and to visit their offices and learn how they work. And they had a model that I found so appealing. And at Futera, the theory of change is something they call logic plus magic. And by logic, what we mean is that's kind of standard Um, deep sustainability insights, a strong sustainability bench that is about looking at reporting and um, uh, GRI reports and being able to look at um, life cycle analysis and materiality and really identify how a business can be a better behavior. However, what we find is that when you only engage in 
a, a company that is deep in sustainability, they are often missing kind of the magic of storytelling, the magic of branding, the magic of unlocking the emotional appeal, appeal that is so important um, to storytelling because we as humans, we learn through stories. And from the days we used to sit around the fire in campfire, uh, it, it, sorry, from the days that we um, used to sit around campfires and draw on cave walls, we use storytelling to convey information and to inspire the kinds of actions that we wanted to see in our world. And so we take that approach to the world of sustainability. And so the logic is clear. The logic in what we need to do is very obvious, but we're not always adept at what that magic is and how do you get people to act. And so we bring also those insights of consumer behavior and storytelling and narrative building to make ex exactly what you said at the beginning, to make sustainability not just essential, but incredibly desirable. And one thing that you said that I thought was so interesting about your approach to really thinking about integration is how can we take logic and magic together to create a new story for humanity? And can we use this as a turning point to say the next era of the human experience can actually be even better than the first? Can this next era of humanity be one of the only sequels that was even better than the first movie? And is this an opportunity because it is times of crisis and change that really bring people together to find new paths and to forge new pathways? And so I think it's so exciting to start to think about how all of these ideas come together and become integrated and give us the opportunity to build a new story, a new story for mankind that is backed up by logic, but gives us the promise of magic. That just warms my soul, that formula that is so simple and so relatable. Um, I can see that so relatable on an organizational level and on a human individual level. And that's something that I want to now really deepen into by um, moving into this Imagine Better series that you guys started, I believe, in 2020, which um, just for our audience um, is a collection of webinars and virtual content to share thought leadership tools and guidance around sustainability and actually how to keep it going. So you led one recently called The Honest Generation, um, where you reference original research that you and your team conducted, which I really want to unpack and just explore with you further. So you, you say so many beautiful insights, um, and you frame up the presentation with an insight from millennials and Gen Zers, uh, quote, they don't expect brands to be perfect, but they expect them to be truthful, end quote. And so I'd love to just start this conversation by asking you, what does it mean to be a truthful brand? And is it enough to also imagine something or do we need real embodiment of that imagination that will take a brand from, let's say, intent to actual impact or proof, which is a word that you use quite often in that presentation? It's a great question. And this was such exciting research to really look at how consumers feel about transparency and what we realized is that transparency is an outdated term. Transparency is an old construct. Can transparency is a corporate construct. 
honesty is a human construct. And so what we ask brands to do or we guide them in doing is being able to sit with vulnerability, to sit with nuance, and to be able to embrace change and to be able to um, admit wrongdoing, to be able to say, we're trying, but we're not there yet, to be able to practice what we call the corporate culpa, to apologize um, when you've made mistakes. And it's a different approach for a brand. It's, it's a warmer, more human approach, but it's, it requires strength to share that vulnerability. It requires less posturing and more personing. It requires us to say, we're not there yet. We're not 100% recyclable, but we're 50% there and we're working on the rest. It requires us to say things like, you know, not all of our cows was milked by choice today, but 95% of them were. And the other 5% were working on that. There's something about um, this generation that's rising into adulthood right now, Generation Z, um, that is really requiring not only that aspect of real truth and real honesty, but really giving credibility to brands that are unafraid to demonstrate growth. So we used to think brands had to go out and be perfect and, and they couldn't go out until their press release, like all the I's and T's were perfect and, and everything was proofread and it was exactly what they wanted to say. And it was there was nothing wrong you, you could poke in it, but there was also like very little truth there. What we see with um, Gen Z especially, and what was really exciting about this research is that we also interviewed Gen Zers who have aged into heads, head of household status, so 18 plus, and, and looked at how they were changing. And what they were saying was, it's not enough to just comply it's not enough to greenwash. It's not enough to just even report what you're doing. You have to go beyond that from a, 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 from a way of thinking about brands as needing to have purpose and having a beautiful mission in the world to kind of going over that chasm of, of proof to this area of, of, of real proof at the product level. So I love when brands have a beautiful purpose statement and a beautiful mission and vision. And quite frankly, I've pretty much built my career in helping brands do that. But it is no longer enough. The edge has shifted, especially for the Gen Z cohort, who is really aging into head of household status and in the next five years will be parents of in their own right um, and starting to make decisions for their entire families, if that's not scary enough. <laughs> as it is. But I love this generation. And they say, yes, your purpose is great. Show me the proof. Show me the proof at your product level and not just to the product at hand. Show me the proof in how you source your products, in how you manufacture your products, in how you pay your workers, in the environments that surround your factories in countries outside of our own. What are you doing there? And how are you marketing your products? Are you marketing them responsibly? Are you encouraging positive behaviors? Are you getting people to spend their money in ways that benefit society or are you not? And in many ways, these Gen Zers have an incredible tolerance for, for corporate growth and for, for corporate change and for brands to say, I'm, I'm moving, I'm changing, I'm doing new things. 
but they have very little tolerance for just words and purpose and greenwashing. Like you said, uh, transparency does feel a little bit outdated and honesty does feel more human. And I think if this past year has taught us anything, it's that honesty is all we have and organizations are made of people. And those people are also being called to, I guess, access deeper parts of who they are. And so that will then reflect back in the organization. And that's beautiful. And that's so uplifting and makes me feel optimistic. And, you know, you 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 shared some examples of what Gen Zers are looking for in terms of how they assess and evaluate the landscape of brands that they interact with and consume. And I know Futera has worked on so many amazing projects. And in your time there, are there certain brands that you feel are really doing truthful well? Um, and I love this framing that you shared around there are some brands that are born good and there are some brands that are born again. And wherever you are in that spectrum, there is a place for you to grow. Um, but just naming that some are really showing up right from the get-go as, hey, we want to be honest and we want to do that and operationalize it in every aspect, and then some that are shifting in that direction. So can you think of one or two or whatever, even brands that you personally consume um, that you feel like are demonstrating truthful really well? You know, the thing is, I think every brand has the potential to, well, maybe within reason, um, has the potential to bring goodness into our world. And the way I often um, advise our clients and the way that we get the best work out of them and where our best stories come from is from asking the brands to look inside themselves and understand what it is that they have at their disposal and their superpower and how they can give that to the world. So an example that, um, and I'm trying to be careful to not share anything that I'm not able to share yet. Um, and having been at Futera not a terribly long time, much of this stuff is still in practice and in, in development. But there are cases um, that are are so inspiring about what you can do to the to what you can bring to the world. And and some examples that we like to talk about are, you know, if you're a Google how can you use data for good? How can you help us see the data behind everything? That is your expertise. That is what you can bring to this world. If you are Amazon, how do you use your amazing ability to distribute to, to distribute things across our world so quickly to get food and water and medicine to the right people at the right time? Um, we at Futura, we're experts in communications and sustainability strategy. So we use our superpower to make desire to make sustainability so desirable it becomes normal. And so the best cases that I have, and um, I'll try to think of, of some um, that are that we are able to share. Um, but the best cases we have are the ones where people aren't trying to do something completely out of their comfort zone or completely. Um, out of what their core competency is, but are really using their own superpower for good. So even if it's just about how you are bringing smiles to the faces of people every day, how are you using that power to bring people together, to erase differences and to create collective action? Yeah, it's it's really accessible what you're saying, because it's about just being honest, having that, you know, 
mirror look at what is that superpower and saying, okay, let's start to create impact from there versus making something up entirely or reinventing the wheel or trying to be another type of brand, just be yourself and do it well, kind of, um, which feels very human and very relatable. And I guess um, I wanted to pull out um, a little statistic from the Imagine Better series that really struck me, which was um, when polled, I forget if it was millennials or Gen Zers, um, oh, sorry, for corporate experts, 86% of them um, thought consumers were satisfied, yet um, only 41% of consumers felt products we're providing the right amount of information on sustainability. And that, for me, seems like a really big gap and also a really big opportunity. So what do you feel like is at the root, or maybe was, maybe this data has changed since then, is at the root of such discrepancy between leadership thinking and the sentiment of the younger generation that's rising? Yeah, I think one of the key things that leadership may not quite understand is how darn serious young the younger generations are about this. And that means they aren't just looking for pretty words and great purpose. And they aren't just looking for your, even just the whether you have a sustainability report that you publish. They want to look through the pages and see what you're reporting. And I was recently giving a speech um, and there was a student there who was getting a master's in sustainability. And she told me that she and her other um, classmates were in the dorm room studying, drinking beers one night. And they were looking at, I'm not going to name the brand, but they were looking at one brand's purpose statement and their sustainability messaging. And then they were looking at the reporting and she said, we just laughed. We laughed at it. And the reason that they're laughing is that this is a generation that is growing up with much more fluency around sustainability. And many of us, marketers like me, um, even people in, in the business world who have a background in sustainability, many of us are needing to upskill ourselves and to um, understand new lexicons in order just to be current enough to be able to speak to these, these Gen Zers who are looking. So I think the big difference is the level of fluency. So if you had given me the GRI reporting for a particular brand um, at a time when I was in my 20s, it, wouldn't, it would have been meaningless to me. And so naturally, I wouldn't have cared. But if I had the fluency to read that and to be able to say like, mm, that's not quite adding up, um, then it becomes much more meaningful. So I think the key difference is that this is a generation that is growing up with a much higher level of baseline um, information. And we have to meet them where they are. Yeah, that fluency is key. The language, the ability to communicate uh, these deeper principles that maybe went unexamined before because that's what culture allowed for. And that's beautiful because I also, I love on, in these conversations to really look at all sides of the story. So we're talking a lot about sustainability and the optimism that we have that sustainability can really take a rightful place in the business world. And so in the, in the line of emerging paradigms and stories, especially given this, um, crisis of consciousness that we're in and just general systems collapse that we've seen in 2020, um, you know, there are sort of like two stories that I've been 
sort of grappling with, right? The story that um, we are really making progress and having impact and that we are moving in the direction of conscious capitalism, which is, um, you know, a book and a movement that the CEO of Whole Foods uh, coined and is leading the charge on. And on the other side, there's a story that we are not really making progress in the way that benefits all. So this book, and I know that you know it because our mutual uh, friend Gala told me that you liked this book, Civilized to Death. And um, (laughs) I just started reading it, and I'm so curious because the author Christopher Ryan is very well researched. So he is acknowledging, right, there are all these different data points that say we are making progress, yet what's the other story that's not being told? And just to pull out an excerpt to just give us some framing, he says, quote, average, the average American is as frazzled and desperate as ever, working as many hours today as he or she did in 1970. While global wealth has gone up in the past few decades in Europe and the U.S., Almost all surplus has gone to those who need it last, leaving the rest further behind than ever, end quote. And so, you know, I kind of pull out these two polarities because I think it's important to consider both sides of the story. And so when you when you also kind of tap into these polarities, what do you feel? Are we making progress? And is there anything missing in the story of it? Yes, we are making progress. And yes, we are falling behind in many ways. And I think that one of the biggest mistakes that we make is taking too much of a binary look at at the world that we live in. And so I think one of the gifts that we have is an ability to hold contradictory ideas in our heads at the same time. So This dialectic thinking, um, I think, opens up a much broader and truer way at looking at at all things, whether it is um, gender or relationships or or even how we run a sustainable business, um, like can capitalism and sustainability exist together? These are questions that don't really get unlocked if you are only looking at things in binary terms. And so I think the question is a good one because yes, we are progressing in so many ways. We are progressing to harness more of the power of our of our home star and make solar um, available and accessible and cheap enough to electrify our world. And at the same time, um, we are not drawing carbon out of the atmosphere quickly enough. And in the result is going to be um, major climate catastrophe, it may not hit all of us. There may be some of us who are still wealthy enough to move out of um, climate uh, disaster zones and to have all the resources that we need, but we are increasing inequality, not just in money, but in resources, in happiness, in accessibility. And so yes, progress can go in many directions. And I think one of the things we also need to think about is how do we want to define progress? Is progress always new? Is is human progress always about remaking our environment? Is it about the built environment um, being made of man-made materials as opposed to embracing um, biomimicry and living cities? and de-engineering our lives to 
bring in more nature. And this is one of the key tenets of, of civilized to death is that civilization is not necessarily progress. More civilized, more built up, more engineered does not necessarily mean better for humanity. And so what I'm trying to do not only in my professional life, but in my personal life is to reevaluate what does progress look like? What does success look like? What is my definition of success? And how do I know when I've reached it? Does it look like a certain title? Does it look like a certain number on my 401k? Or does it maybe instead look like the number of hours I get to spend with my family or exercising or taking a walk or training my dog versus writing reports? And I think that as we have this this moment right now, COVID especially has given us this pause and pivot moment. It's given us a gift of a moment to reassess our priorities and how we think about say Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how it might apply to our planetary hierarchy of needs. Um, if you're in the US right now, that might start with, okay, my first concern is a coup, <laughs> then it's COVID and then it's climate. And then we can talk about um, microplastics and then maybe biodiversity. I mean, where does it all fit? And I think that this is a great opportunity for us to reevaluate our priorities based on internal drivers and internal measures of satisfaction rather than external symbols of success. So well said. Yeah, for a company, what we talk about is... Um, you know, we often talk about what is a company's footprint? What is your carbon footprint? What is your karmic footprint? But we also talk about what is your brain print? And can you judge yourself by the impact you make rather than the income that you bring in? And we as a, we're fiercely proud of being a certified B Corp. We have the opportunity to base the clients that we take in and, and the jobs that we sign up for, um, we're incredibly lucky to be able to evaluate them on what, not just will they bring us money, that's one thing to consider, but more importantly, will they create impact in our world, measurable, material, meaningful impact? And will they bring joy to us as the people who work there every day? Joy is um, an important, a KPI for us. Um, and I think that this is a, a real opportunity to, for us to think about what does progress mean and maybe to come up with a new, de new definition. Wow. A brain print. <laughs> That's amazing. And I... <laughs> That is our, I cannot take credit from that. That is our brilliant founder, Solitaire Townsend. Um, her name is Solitaire because she is one of a kind. Um, she wrote a book called The Happy Hero. And it, it really is all about how doing good work in the world is what brings us happiness and purpose. And that it is by believing that we can make a change, that we, we um, make ourselves better, we make ourselves happier. We've spent um, decades, really, the past couple of decades in this selfie world, um, a lot of self-inquiry, and we need a lot more self-outquiry. We need to look outward and see not what does the world look, how does the world look at me, but what can I bring to the world? And that is really where satisfaction happens. It's a much more satisfying than getting a couple of likes, and it's much more long-lasting. Right. And I think it, it requires a new level of responsibility to actually feel I have permission to have my perspective and to really show up in that 
in the way that I carry myself personally and in the way I carry myself professionally. And these sort of boundaries have sort of dissolved over time because we realize that we are actually whole human beings and to fragment ourselves. Um, and okay, with this group, I can say this. With this group, I can say this. Maybe there is a level of that still, but I think there's a greater um, aptitude or appetite for whole body, whole human, whole earth thinking. And what I do to myself, I do to the earth. What I do to the earth, I do to myself. And that sort of duality of sustainability out there and sustainability in here, which we'll get to because I'm very curious about how those words spark you. Um, and also to your earlier points, you know, you were touching on intersectionality, which I know Futera has done a beautiful job, at least on Instagram, I'm sure in all other areas. But you guys did a few posts where it was like climate change and, and, you know, finding solutions for climate change, for example, is actually a path of finding solutions for more equality broadly around gender, around ethnicity, around, um, you know, the wealth disparity. And so, you know, maybe this is obvious, but I just want to hear from your perspective, can the story of sustainability be achieved without actually operationalizing diversity, equity, and inclusion, which has, you know, really emerged in 2020 and feels like it can sort of sit side by side with sustainability. It has to. But what are your thoughts on that? I think that's a really good example of how the definition of sustainability has changed. So if you ask me, can we draw down carbon without um, equality, without social justice? I would say, yeah, we could. We could draw it right out of the air and not change anything else. And we would be finished with that. And that would be some environmental stewardship. But that wouldn't be sustainability because sustainability is about a long-term view of how things will play out as you continue to allow systems to, to go on. And so what we do know about inequality is that as inequality grows, societies become less stable and that inequality is incredibly destabilizing for societies in general. And it is one thing that could lead to collapse. And so, and, and it also, makes markets hard to, it's hard to be a global market if nobody can afford your iPhone anymore. And so um, when we think about sustainability, we think about what kinds of practices can we put into place that could potentially go on forever. Um, and practices that increase inequality are eventually going to lead to collapse. They are eventually going to be destabilizing. They are eventually going to lead to revolution or death or catastrophe. And so it might not be this year, it might not be this quarter, um, but it will be eventually there. And what sustainability does as a mindset is it forces us to think through is this a sustaining practice? Could we sustain this practice forever? Drawing fossil fuels out of the ground and using up limited resources is clearly not something that can go on forever. Harnessing the power of our home star, now that's something we can at least do until the sun burns out. And so I think we have a little bit more leeway there. And that feels like, oh yeah, that is a far more sustainable approach. Being able to create businesses that have factories in 
other nations and making sure that the workers in those nations um, who are building your goods, making sure they have access to fresh water so that they don't get uh, waterborne diseases means that they can show up and make your products. Making sure they have a fair wage means that they can purchase your products. Being at a company like Target, um, who wants to be an accessible um an accessible company for the masses, and I like to think about it as the general store for the world we want to live in, they realize that they can't really meet their goal to be that kind of company for everyone if they're not paying their workers enough to partake in that marketplace. And so I think you're absolutely right. Yes, we can have environmentalism without equality, without social justice, and without this broader definition of, of sustainability, but we don't truly have a sustainable world, a sustainable business, or sustainable society. Mm. Yeah, it's not so black and white, right? I mean, there's so much nuance and um I think going back to being a truthful brand or a truthful anything, it's about just stating where we are and being open to what possibilities lie beyond where we currently are. And, you know, with that, I just want to go into sort of imagination land with you, you know, in this upcoming 2021 year, if you personally could, you know, work with a brand of choice, um, which one would that be if you could just go off the rocker here and really go wild? And and with that organization, brand, whatever in mind, how would you help them assess their starting point for, okay, we want to be better in the world. We want to make change. We want to be that brand that leads and doesn't just follow. How would you help them assess their starting point and I guess that's a big question, but it's more of like a process question, too, if you can share anything at all. Um, and, for example, would it be like, OK, let's just reduce our carbon footprint or maybe let's just start with a cause marketing uh, campaign or maybe, you know, we're a pretty homogenous organization. Let's start hiring for more diversity. Like there's so many different entry points. How does one begin? <laughs> Those are such good questions. And I think I would actually answer some of them in different ways. Um, one of the questions that you asked is how do you go about building a sustainability strategy for a brand? And I think what we have seen, um, we've seen a lot of great changes in the field of sustainable business and, and looking at um, people who have that title within big corporations are making really huge strides. But all too often, sustainability remains siloed and they never talk to the marketing people or they never talk to the PR people or they never talk to corporate com corporate communications people. And so I think what we need is to bring those things much more closely together and to integrate them and to weave them together. Because right now, um, for many, I won't say this for, for all companies, it's certainly not true for, for the, the leaders in the space, but for, for many of the followers. Um, sustainability feels sort of incidental, some incidental initiatives that are sort of bolted on or kept separate from their practice. And what we try to do is get back to the roots of why you are in business. Why are you here? And within that purpose, there is often an unlock, which is why you are developing a sustainable strategy. It's because if you're Apple, we're not 
Apple and sustainable. Maybe we're Apple because we think different and because of a different kind of approach to business. And so the question is, how can you go back to your origin story for your reason for being and pull out a reason why sustainability makes sense, not just to be a good corporate citizen, but is core, not just incidental to your business, but almost the inevitable ending. Um, Aristotle said that the, the best endings are both surprising and inevitable. And you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. But then once you see it, you're like, yes, of course, of course they did that. And so how do you create your own sustainability story that is surprising and creates this record scratch moment and gets people to turn heads and say, oh my gosh, you can be carbon negative. You're going to erase all the carbon you put in the air um, by 2050 for your entire, I'm, I'm speaking about Microsoft here, but how do you get to that point where you say, of course, of course you are. I'm surprised. But now that you tell me this, of course it makes sense because that's who you are as a brand. And so that's often the approach that we take is to walk back before sustainability and say, what is your brand in business to do? And how do you do that more responsibly? And then from there, you can build back up, build up your key pillars. Um, is it going to be about people or the environment or the oceans or social justice? Um, and then within that, then we would go through a process of saying, okay, how do you establish not only a bold goal, but a big role for yourself, a unique perspective. Why are you doing this? What is your point of view on sustainability? And then how do we identify your targets and your goals and your commitments? And then eventually, how do we commercialize those in ways that will accrue value, not only to the company in the bottom line, but to the brand in ways that create a new covenant with consumers, um, or if it's a B2B audience with your customers. And so it all sort of comes together. And I think the next era of business is really weaving together purpose and sustainability and brand in ways that are meaningful, material, and brand relevant. Wow. Um, you asked me another question about my wish list. I did. <laughs> What's on your wish list, Emily? I will take any company who wants to do this. Um, but I do, my current soapbox is about mandatory carbon labeling. This is like trying to lose weight without knowing what any calories, what, what the calorie counts are of anything you're eating, or trying to stay within a budget if you don't know what things cost. We cannot possibly stay within our planetary limits if we do not know what we're spending. And so we are left guessing and we're left not knowing. And that ignorance is really damaging. And it's the kind of thing that you might not know, for example. Um, we know that that um that farming and agriculture are um, really big sources of greenhouse gases. And so many people, for example, have gone vegetarian to try to cut down on, on their own carbon footprints. But without having the data, you might not know that if it really just comes to carbon, grilled cheese is worse than grilled chicken. Um, but that's the kind of information that if you wanted to say, you know what, I'd like to stay within my planetary guidelines every day, how can I budget my decisions? How can I decide, do I buy the cheddar wrapped in wax paper 
or do I buy the vegan cheese that comes in a block of plastic? I just don't know. I can only go on my feeling and my gut. And my gut can be incredibly misleading because it might seem that vegan cheese would be the better answer. And yet wrapped in plastic, it might be worse for our planet than some really um, well-farmed and um, responsibly sourced um, cheddar wrapped in wax paper. And so these are the kinds of things that even just having that information, doing nothing else but making that visible will change our behaviors through behavioral economics. Wow. So that's my soapbox. (laughs) I welcome the soapbox more and more. I think (laughs) just you're bringing, it goes back to that fluency, that language, that language of sustainability, making it so desirable, it becomes the new normal. Um, Already just being in conversation with you, I feel like, wow, I want to, I want to learn about that. I want, you know, little kids in school to learn about that. How is that not part of education? Um, You know, we learn about English literature and mathematics. Why aren't we learning about how to take care of our planet, which is our most finite resource if we don't know what we're doing? So it just seems like a no-brainer. And I figured I would feel that way, but uh, the experience is a lot more uh, visceral than I thought. Um, So, okay, planetary guidelines, understanding how to help brands lead the charge. Uh, I also want to talk now about leadership. So you um, wrote an article in AdAge called How to Be a Cultural Leader Instead of a Cultural Follower. And, you know, in the beginning of the show, we talked a little bit about how is power and the models of power that are available to us shifting? Can we move into more power with one another? Um and, and balance out the power over one another? And how does this all play out as being a leader of our times to lead truthful organizations and brands? So maybe you can just tell us, what does it mean to be a cultural leader in 2021? How do you see that playing out? I think it, it probably starts with how we think about culture. What is culture? And to me, culture is about intentional energy. Um, there's nature. And there's the world as it is and as it was formed. And then there are things that we do to the world that create culture. And so that could be financial energy in terms of the money we spend on products. It could be academic energy and what we're studying and what we're getting degrees in. And sustainability is one that is just going gangbusters right now. Um, It could be spiritual energy. What are we praying for? What are we praying to? What are we wishing for? Um, And all of these things are about where we're putting our intentional energy. And so being a leader doesn't just mean being the best. It means harnessing your energy in technical ways to direct the outcome that you want to create. And that it is in the collective experience of creating energy and creating the kinds of buildings that we want to build and creating the kinds of industries we want to fund and creating the kind of energy we want to power our homes. That is what culture is. It's not necessarily about the book that you want to write, although that's a part of culture and movies you want to make are a part of culture, but it is the net um, collection of all of our intentional energies that form our culture. So how do you be a leader in this space? Is you look for where the energy is. You listen to the energy. You watch it and you tap into it. And so 
what I found is that, you know, in years in the agency world, we spent a lot of time doing consumer surveys and trying to figure out what consumers were looking for and, and how to meet their demands. And the thing is that by the time it reaches, an idea reaches the critical mass required for it to pop in a consumer survey, you've already missed the opportunity to lead in that space. So it's about opening your eyes and trusting your gut and saying, this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing these signals in the atmosphere. I'm seeing new churches pop up, um, the church of cannabis or churches that celebrate polyamory, or I'm seeing new degrees come to light or new jobs, um, you know, being a synthetic biology strain engineer, for example. Um, these are things that show us where our world is going. And so to lead in that space is really the easiest thing is to open your eyes, look and take notice of what is happening because so often we are much more aware of where culture is going than a survey will tell you. And I think, yeah, we often look at at Pew surveys, for example, and 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 see what Gen Z thinks about this or that. But if you're watching, by the time you get those results, it's like yawn. I already knew that because I was watching. You can hear my dog in the background. Your dog's agreeing. That is my pandemic puppy. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, wow. I love how much you connect to the word energy um, because I think once upon a time ago, it might have been a bit woo-woo or spiritual to use that word in such a mainstream space. But I think you're right. There are limitations to just creating a survey and asking a sample size and collecting results and saying that that's really truly what's uh, directing trends, although that might be one way. But what you're speaking to is is a lot more human. It's a lot more, um, you know, whole bodied, you know, just being aware of what's happening, having those conversations that, you know, are leading into futurism and leaning into where are we going and being able to ask the difficult questions and to approach the people that maybe we don't typically engage with because we as humans like to sort of exist comfortably within our concentric circles of of people and um it's really powerful that you you know wrote about that and i would love to um just dial it in to to more personal emily like how do you practice being a cultural leader and what are some um yeah elements of culture that inspire you in in your style in the way that you show up and you know lead at Futera but also lead in your own life as a mother um you know as a partner to someone as a daughter as all these different roles that make up you one of my favorite words is perspicacity and the ability to see things from many different angles and i think that that is a, a gift that we have as humans, that we have the ability to think through things and to picture it in more abstract terms and to be able to deliver insights from one idea and one category and one instance to another. And in my world, I think what I try, I, I don't even, this isn't even something I try to do. It's more of something I, I witness myself doing, which is about questioning how does this apply to that? So whenever I read a story and I have a thought, I often think, oh, I can't help thinking, how does this apply to a problem I'm working on? Um, whether it's about 
how does civilize to death this book that we're we are reading about what makes humans happy? How does it apply to the environment I've set up for my teenagers? Have I set up a, an environment where they can be near nature or where they feel like they have work with meaning? And so it's that transference of insight from one category to the next that I think is really where innovation and new ideas come from. Um, Stephen Johnson, who's one of my favorite thought leaders and, and writers in, in the space of of, of many things, but he wrote this book of, of where good ideas come from. And it's really about the smashing up. It's almost like the great Hajon Collider of, of, of ideas. It's the smashing up of different ideas from one category to the next, from one person to the next. It's why cities give birth to so many new industries and new ideas, because it's about people being together, coming together, bouncing off of each other, and witnessing new things that unlock new opportunities. And so I'm very much like watching culture. I think so much of it is about being curious and being awake and looking around and then saying, huh, Regenerative farming, how might I apply that to the apparel industry? What would it mean if I were to take the insights from um, you know, solar energy and apply it to face cream? I don't know. That's maybe not, who knows? Maybe there's something there. But um, but it's really about like there is no wrong combination of things, um, bringing things together and combining them and creating new things. That's where innovation comes from. And so um, I think it's also a little bit of that rejection of binary, rejection of silos. It's like, how can we bring things together? How can we have a a new philosophy. I like to say this idea that um, there used to be this dogmatic adherence to like, I am a vegetarian, I will never eat meat. I am not that. I call myself an edutarian because I don't order meat or cook meat but I'll eat it if my husband cooks it, which he does most nights of the week. And I'm just very lucky that my husband makes me dinner. But I like to say that the philosophy that I practice is ish is the new ism. How do we find those spaces in between? Not the isms, not the dogmatism, not the binaries, but the ish, the transference, the connection, the in-between spaces. I think that's where I really look for inspiration. And so I am by no means the model mom, the model worker, the model anything. I'm all ish, no ism. But I like to think that it is my ability to find connections where there weren't connections before that makes me um, hopefully uh, be able to bring new ideas and, and new thinking to the table. I love that. How do we go from ism to ish? And the ish really touches that in-between space where being human actually exists because we are fluid, we are dynamic, we are many things, we are diverse, we are complex, we are constantly evolving and emerging. Um, and I mean, to deny that would be to deny the human experience, right, and the laws of nature and how we can fit into this incredibly miraculous um, design that is life. And Right. And and what you were alluding to, you know, I, I can't help but think of like the design school at Stanford, right, where they bring together in a room engineers, journalists, uh, traditional designers, artists, um, you know, futurists, and they, they, they present a problem. And how can we solve this using our 
complexity and diversity and to bring all the best parts of ourselves into a conversation that can yield the best possible result that is inclusive because this room is more inclusive than just siloing a group of engineers or just politicians or just journalists. And uh, it's such a rich space for exploration. And can you just say that word one more time? Your favorite word in the English dictionary is perspicacity. Perspicacity. Where, what context is that word used typically? I've never heard anyone use that word, and I love words and word playing. So I'm so curious about that word. Um, I think this word is mostly used on SAT exams. <laughs> I rarely see it any place other than that. Um, and I will tell you, I was a complete nerd and studied really hard um, to, to, score and I had piles of note cards with vocabulary words and perspicacity was always my favorite one but it was one that I felt um, connected to because it was about this idea of insight and kind of shrewdness that comes from being able to have a certain kind of perspective from being able to almost just take an idea and think about it in three dimensions, walk around it, look inside it, tip it over, see what's underneath it, torture it, challenge it, ask if it's true. And so, yes, I can make people absolutely crazy because I'm constantly challenging things that are supposed to just be facts. Um, you can often hear me, uh, my husband's quoting statistics from the New York Times, and I'm often the one saying, uh, I'd like to see the way the question was asked, please, um, because there's so many different ways to look at data and to look at information and to present stories in different ways that it requires us um, to be shrewd, to be able to take facts and kick them over and turn them upside down and twist them and torture them and make them speak. Um, that's how we really get insight. And so that's, to me, what perspicacity is. It's about taking things and being able to really understand them because you can look all around and question them and dig into them and ask, keep asking, yes, but why? But why? But why? Um, I'm still a little five-year-old in that way when I'm like, but why? Why is it this way? Um, and I think that it is by asking and challenging and continuing to question and to be incredibly curious about what the answer might be um, that really unlocks new ideas. And it really makes me think, too, that you can have all the information that you want, and then what? You can have all the insights that you want, and then what? And to really uh, three-dimensionalize that insight is what gives us, I think, the energy or the creativity to bring them into the world or to cross-pollinate them with, um, you know, with solutions that want to be expressed and to solve problems in a different way. And I absolutely love that approach. And I, I'm going to add that word to my dictionary now, and I'm going to try to use it once every week or so. Um, so I'd like to now move our conversation into envision envisioning or imagining, because I know that's a very um, core word in the Futera culture. And so I think we've concluded that sustainability has is here to stay in a very deep, meaningful, impactful way, more than it ever has in our history. Um, and sometimes I feel like, I mentioned this earlier, the part of the story that I feel like I haven't quite seen um, 
manifested or alive quite yet is what does inner sustainability look like? If we want to see sustainability out there, what is the practice of inner sustainability in here? And maybe we have touched on it. Um, but for me, when I when I hear inner sustainability or how to move that concept in my own life or in the individual's life, it's about thinking um, more globally in how we consciously consume and relate to the material world and, you know, take all these concepts that are out there and apply them to our own behaviors day in and day out. So when you hear the words inner sustainability, what comes to mind for you? And do you feel like this is a conversation that can evolve and can be more present in the overall narrative of sustainability outside? Yes, I think that I think One way to think about that is to think about, we often think about if corporations were people, what would they do? But if people were corporations, what would my brand purpose be? What would I stand for? What is at the core of my origin story and how I want to behave in the world? And how do I make sure that the behaviors that I'm embracing are consistent with my own purpose? And if they're not, that's going to create harm. It's going to create psychic, uh, sorry, that's probably not the right word. Um, It's going to create harm. It's going to create dis-ease. It's going to create discomfort because I won't be acting in ways that feel true to who I am. So when I hear you talk about inner sustainability, I think about how do I act in a way that is sustainable for me, but is also in line with my own values and uh, my own vision of the world. I think one thing uh, that you mentioned is this idea of imagination and and what can you imagine and what can you envision? We, we talked earlier about this idea of can we imagine part two of the human era being even better than the first? Or can we imagine climate catastrophe being the end of our society? Yes, we can imagine them both. And Futera's mantra is imagine better. And it's based on the Thomas theorem, which basically, I will paraphrase, says that humanity makes true what it believes to be true. And so what's an example of that? Well, during COVID, we saw that if humanity believed there's going to be a run on toilet paper at Walmart, we're going to make that happen because we're all going to go and say, oh my gosh, the toilet paper is running out. We have to go buy it. And all of a sudden the shelves are empty. Um, If humanity believes that we will not get out of this crisis, that we cannot be better, then sure, we'll all grab you know, our, our Heinekens and sit on the beach and watch it burn. But if humanity believes that this is actually possibly a new era and that maybe humanity's best day hasn't even happened yet, well, how lucky are we to be part of the best story ever told, the best adventure story for humankind? How do we take that spirit and make that true. And so when I think about inner sustainability, I think about not just what drives you and what is your purpose and how are you acting, but what am I imagining and what am I making happen? And what am I putting my sights on? Because if I put my sights on disaster, we will end there. And so how do we get everyone to collectively believe in better? And then as we say at Butera, make it happen. Yeah. It's, um, the, I love that. Um, you know, our words create our worlds, our stories create our reality. And so it really does start from the inside out. And, you know, when we can really see that organizationally, or as a whole culture or humanity, it it becomes quite urgent, okay, the responsibility actually does lie within um, each of us. And that's, that's something we can't forget. 
Um, and so just to quote something you also mentioned in your Imagine Better series, you said, don't be a future dinosaur and you are what you burn. And I absolutely love that because we potentially can't be future dinosaurs. Um, so how can you advise the leaders listening in and the leaders out there today to avoid being that future dinosaur? What is something they can do today? What is an action, a practice, a step, a question, whatever comes to mind? I think it's funny because so much of what I talk to talk about is getting rid of binaries and embracing dialectics and dealing with contradictions. But there is one binary that I do practice, and that is you are either part of our sustainable future or you are a future dinosaur. And so that is a question that I want people, for companies, for individuals to sit with. Um, am I a part of a sustainable future or am I a future dinosaur? And you have to feel comfortable. There is no in-between. There is no status quo. Doing nothing pushes you on one side or the other. Um, doing something can be incredibly gratifying. Um, Rebecca uh, Solnit wrote this book um, called, um, oh, I'm going to forget what it's called, uh, Paradise Built in Hell. And in there, um, actually paraphrasing William James, she, she talks about the fact that humanity is at its best when much is demanded of it. And so I think that is part of the reason that we have the opportunity to live our best lives, to be the best age of humanity ever, because so much is being demanded of us right now. And if we are truly at our best when difficult situations, when catastrophes, when dangers, when war, when crisis come and we unite and we are, are humans together and we are collectively on what Douglas, Douglas Rushkoff calls team human, it is then that we do our very best work. And so my question is really about looking inwardly to let's start with what your strengths are. You don't have to do everything. But you as a company or as an individual, whether you're amazing at math or you're amazing at storytelling or you're amazing at finances, we all have superpowers to bring and it's going to take every single one of us. So I say, don't look at where you're falling behind. Look at where you're strongest. That is your gift to the world. And that is what we need from every single one of us because we're not just on the planet together. We really are in it together. And the only way we can survive is if we figure out how to work together. And I think it is a scary thought and yet it is an incredibly exciting thought to think about what could I do if I could apply my strength, my best gifts, my best talents, my expertise, my knowledge? What could I do if I could transfer my insight from what I do well to what the world needs? And that's the question I would say we should all ask as individuals, as organizations, as societies, and as an entire planet. What can we do? What can we give back to the world? Again, so accessible and also something that we explore on the show is what inner leadership looks like. We oftentimes think leaders are just, you know, facilitating conversations in boardrooms um, or standing behind podiums or, you know, wearing a suit and tie. But actually, everyone has the potential to be a leader. And that is how we can democratize this uh, solution 
as we move forward to be more sustainable and to really act on it um, in our personal day-to-day moments. And you might have already said this in your answer, but um, I love to close our conversation by asking you if you can share a message or question uh, to the conscious consumer of Gen Z, the millennial sort of world, um, for for us to sort of think about and reflect beyond this conversation, Um, even to the Greta Thunbergs of the world, just what is your message or reflecting question that we can ponder on about beyond this conversation? Well, a a couple of things came up when you asked me that question. The first is about inner leadership and how you can be a leader for yourself. And I think so often we say to people, you know, treat others the way you would like to be treated. And I like to flip that on its head sometimes and and remind myself and and my team members that we should treat ourselves with the kindness that we would show others. And often we are so hard on ourselves and so demanding of ourselves that we become paralyzed with our inability to do anything because we're our own most inner critic. And so <clears throat> and so the question I would ask is how would you turn that to yourself? How would you talk to yourself if you were on the outside? How would you encourage yourself? What is it that you would think other people would see in you as a strength? And how can you be kind to that part of yourself and grow it and water it and nurture it and let it flourish? And so treating yourself with kindness, I think is the first step to finding greatness within. So powerful. I'm just letting it sink in. This was such a such a nourishing conversation, Emily. Thank you so, so much for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom and your experience of being a true leader in the sustainability space. I really appreciate you being here with us today. It's been so great talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, the thing is, I'm, I am still fairly new to this particular space. But the thing is, we all have so much to give. We don't all have to have a PhD or a master's degree. We all have something to give to this planet and to give to the society and to give to our world and our families and our communities. And we shouldn't be afraid and we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't keep waiting. We need to act. And as I said, it's going to take all of us. And so we're all, we're not, we really are not just on this planet together. We are in it together and we can, help each other and we can build something really spectacular and exciting. And in many ways, we can feel lucky to be alive at this moment. Gratitude. It's the best medicine. (laughs) And for listeners who want to maybe connect with you or learn more about you or the work of Futera, how can they find you? And we'll be sure to include all this in the show notes, but do you want to just share anything around that? Uh, Well, our website is wearefutera.com. And so that's one easy place to go. You can obviously find me on LinkedIn. It's Emily Viola, like the instrument, um, <laughs> very musical name. And yeah, those are, I'm, I'm always happy to chat and get excited about topics about sustainability and culture or anything else. I am um, pretty passionate about a lot of stuff, a complete nerd and very curious about most things. And so I would love to chat. 
Amazing. Well, you are in the company of another nerd. So I am so, so honored that you were able to join us today. And for all of you guys listening, if you feel uplifted or shifted in any way, please um, share this episode with your friends and your family. Give us a subscribe, uh, a share, a review. We just want to amplify these stories of integration um, as far and wide as possible. So Thanks so much for listening in, and we will be back next week. The Alt Normal. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.